All right. Can we do this every week? Um, one of my friends uh, made a post this week about her son, and uh, he was doing a little Easter sermon. I think he's maybe five or six, and he, he told his mom, they think they're in the car, you know, Mom, Easter isn't about candy or eggs. So that's right, that's right. What's it about? Well, it's about Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and, and he came to life. And so Mom said, yeah, that's right, exactly. And, and why did he do that? So all the kids in all the world can have candy and eggs. <laughs> it, it came around to candy and eggs back around. He got some of it right, but we, we do all that to, to celebrate um, new life. But we're going to now talk about what you, what you know I'm going to talk about. It's interesting, uh, Christmas and Easter are some of the most difficult sermons to preach, because I, I can't surprise you. I'm not supposed to. So we'll do what we do we can. We come today with our disappointments. I wonder what you think are the biggest disappointments. Star Wars Episode 1. Uh, Michael Jordan's second comeback to the Wizards, right? Y2K. Segway. Ryan Leaf. Freddie Adu. Google Glass. Didn't work out so great. Of course, none of these are personal, but then when you think about personal ones for you and me, failures, divorce, losing your job, losing a dream, addiction, Losing your faith, debt, grief, death, your stories, my story. And these are way past movie pass, right? The fire festival. We come today with our highlights and our heartaches, our Things that are weighing on us, are pressing in on us, our losses, the injustices, the hatred. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, what do you mean? Now, when I started, the first sermon that I preached seven weeks or so ago was from Luke chapter 9 in verse 51. Luke says that Jesus started, determined to go to Jerusalem. He was on his way to this, to this moment. We did one sermon at the beginning of that journey, and we did one sermon at the end of that journey. And last week we talked about Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And remember, the crowd went wild, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our Messiah, this is the one we've been waiting for. And then through that week, Jesus taught, turned the tables. 
he ticked off the leaders, the Jewish and Roman leaders. He, he served his disciples the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday. That Monday means mandate. The mandate to what? Serve one another. To, to wash feet together. Judas betrays him with this kiss. He gets arrested. He's denied. He's judged. He's found guilty. He's stripped. He's beaten. He's scourged. His his back is flayed open. He carries this cross. He has a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's mocked. And he's crucified. I don't know if any of you watched the, the video that I uh, put on, on Friday, or I think it was on the Wednesday email. The, um, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sort of famous if you've seen it. Um, and and the, the narrator, preacher, goes through all of these things that happened when Jesus was betrayed, when he was beaten, when he was put on the cross. And he keeps on saying it's Friday. And here's what happens. We started listening to that when uh, our kids were little. Anna was probably five or six, and she got a kick out of it. And then she would, in her interpretation, she left out a lot of the actual events. And she would say, it's Friday. All the dogs are barking. All the women are crying. And then she would go into whatever she thought was, like, lousy. You know, the, the kids had to go to bed at 8 p.m., they had to eat their vegetables, but Sunday's coming. And, you know, it's sort of funny, but we, we import our sadnesses, however big or small. I think it's appropriate. Uh, not only did he go through these steps, we come to him with our burdens and cares. But on this day, the sky is dark. When they filmed the 1961 movie Barabbas, they filmed the, the crucifixion scene in the middle of the day on a day of a solar eclipse. It's pretty cool. That's good timing, right? Someone thought ahead. But it's complete darkness in the middle of the day. That's so disconcerting. Here we are. Will darkness win? Will disappointment and death get the last word? And so I bring to you this morning Jesus' seven last words on the cross. Uh, they're not at all in one gospel. You have to put them all together. They're seven last words. And maybe as we go, think they're in your bulletin, right? Uh, forgiveness, paradise, family, forsaken, thirst, finished, Commitment. Maybe by the end of this sermon you'll remember those seven last words. Let's start with number one. Forgiveness, paradise, family, forsaken, thirst, finished. Forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus is affixed on the cross. He can barely move. And what do we see? His heart of love. Forgiveness. And we all need it. Sin is two types of things. One is the things you do wrong that you aren't supposed to do. And it's also the things you 
don't do right that you were supposed to do, which is a whole another category. There are sins that you know about and sins you don't know about. There are sins of action, but there are sins of inaction, sins of thought, sins, sins almost of emotions. It's big. So we all need forgiveness. And Jesus bears our iniquities. He takes our judgment. Second Corinthians, Paul writes that, that Jesus reconciles the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. Now, we have so many excuses when we sin, whether that's cheating or padding your expense account, or, you know, it's not gossip, it's just sharing information. Or the reason I did this was because I have needs. I'm stressed. It's, it's blank's fault, my parents' fault, my genes' fault, my allergies' fault, my libido's fault, my loneliness. And yet we know we need justice and accountability. And there are attempts all over the world. There always have been Canaanite altars, Aztec sacrifices, indulgences, jail time, shunning, temper tantrums, riots, war crime tribunals. Is it too late to apologize, Timbaland? We have this justice. We know it costs. And forgiveness always costs the forgiver. The forgiver pays the cost. And it's the debt. And what, is, what do we learn? The wages of sin is death. So Jesus paid it all. It's all to him we owe. He's the scapegoat, the sacrifice, the payment, the atonement, the propitiation. And forgiveness gets the last word. Forgiveness, paradise, family, forsaken, thirst, finished, commitment. Oops, I'd counted four. Jesus says on the cross, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, right? He says that to the first one home. A thief, a thief on the cross. So fitting, right? As we've learned of all the Jesus hangout friends, the people that come to him, that, that love him. It's not the movers and shakers. It's not the influencers. It's, it's not King Herod. It's, it's Mary. It's not the priest, Caiaphas. It's Thomas, the doubter. It's not Josephus, the diplomat. It's these two guys, nameless, on the road to Emmaus. What kind of company is Jesus keeping in paradise? Jesus does not reject people who come to him in faith, in love, to follow him. We find paradise in Christ. Remember a couple years ago, I think it was 2017, there was that bombing of the Egyptian Coptic churches by the ISIS. They claimed responsibility. There were 44 dead. And the next night, the father, the priest, comes out and he says this, he starts a sermon this way. What will we say to them that have killed us? 
thank you. The first thing we say is thank you very much. And you won't believe us when we say it. You you know why we thank you? I'll tell you, you, you won't get it. But hear us, please. You gave us to die the same death as Christ. And this is the biggest honor that we could have. Christ was crucified, and this is our faith. He died and was slaughtered, and this is our faith. And you gave us and you gave them to die. So we thank you because you shortened the journey. When someone is headed home to a particular city, he keeps looking at the time. When will I get home? When will I get home? Are we there yet? Could you imagine if in an instant he finds himself on a rocket ship straight to his destination? You shortened the journey. Thank you for shortening the journey. Whoa. Whoa. Paradise is one of love's last words. Forgiveness. Paradise. Family. Forsaken. Thirst. Finished. Commitment. Family. Jesus said on the cross, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. Jesus has been so alone. He's been so abandoned. But he's not all the way alone. There there are a few people there. Mary and John and Mary Magdalene and and two others. And you know, we think about Mary. Just just imagine if we could give Jesus one of these DNA Ancestry.com kits, right? It would blow blow it out. Half God and half Mary. Jesus came and tabernacled among us, tabernacled inside of her, in her womb. Grew in her. Can you imagine Mary's like pregnancy pics? Eight months along. She carried him. Birthed him. Nursed him. Raised him, taught him, disciplined him, prayed for him, watched him die. Visited by an angel, seen his miracles. Yeah, Mary, she knew. And Jesus loved her, his mother. And he loves his church and he forms his church on the, at the cross, Right? Connecting two people as now mother, son. Connecting us, brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and grandparents and nieces and nephews. We are connected to each other in Christ. Black and white and red and yellow, old and young, men and women, boys and girls, tall and short, ravens and colts, cubs and cardinals, rich and poor. Hipsters and boomers. Love's last word is we're, we're family. We're united together in Christ. Forgiveness, paradise, family, forsaken, thirst, finished, commitment. Love's last word is forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the The deepest cries of the cross coming from the Scriptures. Imagine what it was like to to go into a new century. A lot of us have done that. 
But what if it was 1899 to 1900, right? There was so much optimism going into 1900. After all, about 45 million people had died in the 1800s, the most that had ever died in one whole century. You think about the War of 1812. We're very well accustomed to that here. The Hundred Day Wars, the Napoleonic Wars, slavery and the Civil War. In the Civil War, 620,000 Americans died from each other. Think about all the indigenous peoples that died. Think of the Trail of Tears. And, and here we come into the new century and what lies ahead is just technology, industrialism, Jim Crow laws are abandoned finally, civil rights, we go to the moon, we tear down the Berlin Wall, apartheid ends. You know, it's estimated in the 1900s, 160 to 170 million people died at the hands of war, not just natural. Have we gotten better? In our 20 years in this one, are we off to a great start? Think about all the tragedy, the abuse, the rape, the sickness, the pollution, the abortion, the suicide, the sexism, the illiteracy, the crime, the murder, the bombs, the napalm, the euthanasia. We have more and more ways to more easily kill each other. We can feel forsaken. Does God care? And He turns His back on His own Son. He forsakes his own son. This is a big moment for the Trinity. This had never happened before. It's a big moment for us. There were times in, in our marriage where, where I'd been in, in bed and, and wondered, Jesus doesn't understand this loneliness that I feel. He, he can't have gone through this. But here in this one spot, I guess, no, maybe not this exact thing, but he understands being forsaken or lonely, misunderstood, mistreated. God turned his back on his son whom he loved. Where is God in suffering? Where is God in pain? Where is God in misery? He's here, humiliated, forsaken. This is his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. Think about his baptism when a, a dove came down. Really, you almost expect a raven to come down at this moment. But there's silence. How far did Christ descend? To hell. Right here. So we can live and be embraced. Love's last word is forsaken. Forgiveness. Paradise, family, forsaken, thirsty, finished, commitment, I thirst. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Water, this mysterious, valuable resource, as we know from Dune, right? It's so powerful. I have a new friend, Andy, and uh, he likes to go boating. He just always is talking about the Chesapeake Bay and how it's the greatest body of water in America and maybe the world. And I, who am I to disagree? Think about water cutting the Grand Canyon. Think about water destroying New Orleans. 
It satisfies and it destroys. It weighs, but you can't grab it. You can sail on it, canoe on it, and it comes in a tsunami. In Flint, you couldn't drink it. In the Bible, water is chaos and cleansing. It's new life, a well springing up to eternal life. It's what we use for baptism. Jesus walked on it. And here he is, thirsty. Son of God, the creator of the universe, the firstborn, the Logos, very God of very God, he is desperate with desire for something so simple. Similar as last point, does Jesus know what we go through? Well, he was a person. He understands needs, wants, desires. He's with us in our thirstiness. Physical, actual, metaphorical. In our lives, he dried himself up so we can be assuaged. It's funny with this big, massive, crazy body of water, a couple blocks down from our apartment, there's a, this thing called the Canton Pool, which apparently is a big, huge deal. People pay about $1,000 to have a membership of this pool for the summer. And apparently it's swamped. And I'm thinking, there's a whole bunch of water right nearby. But you can't really swim in it in the same way. Love's last word, thirsty. Forgiveness, paradise, family, forsaken, thirst, finished commitment. Finished. Love, last word, is it is finished. To Tetelestai. Um, one of my favorite jobs, this may come up more times, was I had a... Uh, Christmas season, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas, where I worked on a UPS truck. I was the helper, and I wasn't the driver. And, you know, it's just crazy. This was in 1997, so it's way more crazy now. And it was uh, cool because the, the driver would come pick me up, and when I got on the truck at 7 in the morning, it was completely full. And when it was empty, we were done. It was, you could determine when we were done. There was nothing confusing about it. It was so satisfying to think about all these people that had gotten their packages because I ran them out to them. It's sort of like the lawn. You know when the lawn is mowed? Now, it's not mowed for forever, but you can tell. I mowed it. I washed these dishes. I ran that race. The concert is over. You know what the opposite of that is? Pastoring. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to do I guess Jesus comes back. Okay, we're done. Counseling. What, do you know when you're done with counseling? You got all your problems solved? No. Creating art, it's hard to know when you're done. It's sort of like the Procrastinators Club of America, another PCA, not just the Presbyterian Church of America, the, the Prosecutors Club of America, America. Why do today what you can put off tomorrow? Another place where people don't know how to get done is if you're a perfectionist, right? Jesus says it's not just over. 
It's finished. The work is finished. Judicially finished. The judgment seat, the wrath, declared not guilty. Financially finished. The debt is paid in full. Relationally finished. We are not right with God and we are made right with God. Adopted as his sons and daughters. Married as his bride. Unified with Christ. Legally finished. Declared righteous. The law is fulfilled. Love's last word. Finished. Forgiveness. Paradise. Family. Forsaken. Thirst. Finished. Commitment. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Probably most of us have heard of or know the serenity prayer, right? God, give us grace to accept the serenity, the thing, with serenity the things we cannot change, and courage to change the things we can change, and wisdom to know the difference. Richard Niebuhr wrote this prayer. He, he's a pastor. He's a Christian. We don't often hear the second part, which goes this way. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you, God, will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. How about that? We fail all of that, don't we? We think we can do what we want, and we're encouraged to do so. After all, we have been to the moon. We, we made a channel. The Hoover Dam is incredible. We can't get our affairs in order. Not even the church. We have Me Too, and we have Church Too. The hurt the disappointment, can't get simple stuff done. Are we committed? The good news is Jesus was committed. And he committed himself to the Father. He committed his death to, to you. You get what he should have got, love. and He gets what we should have got, death. It's this exchange, right? It's so interesting how the Christmas story, people like it. Well, babies. It's got some uh, cool things in there. But the Easter story, a little rougher, isn't it? If you take out the Easter eggs and bunnies and you do the real thing, it's It's gruesome. It's appalling. It's, it's so much harder to de- tame or even to depict. In Christmas, we sing joy to the world. But it keeps going, right? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as, how far is that? How far is the curse found? 
Mm. Funerals, fires, shootings, trauma, politics, war. Easter says nothing is actually impossible, even if it's not yet fully realized. Easter is radical and subversive in its very nature. Because it is saying that death defeats death by death. And love triumphs over evil, hatred, and death, and even despair, because love's last word is commitment. Okay, we're almost done, don't worry. Julie and I were both journalism majors, so we got trained to ask, so what? What is the point? I've shared with you, if you've been here, I've I've had a really bad few years. A year and six weeks ago, my dad passed away. He wasn't sick. He didn't die from COVID. And so I've thought about this stuff a lot. Our family's been through trauma, denial, betrayal. And you know, Jesus' death in and of itself doesn't matter that much Think about how many people died that year. How many people have been crucified? He's not the only person. There were three that day alone. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified in the course of history. Why this one? Why are we still talking about it? We're still talking about it. It is only because he came back from the dead, right? That's the reason. If that didn't happen, I don't care. I don't. It may be interesting, but there's a lot of interesting people in deaths, right? The the last word isn't betrayal, denial, injustice, murder, hopelessness. If Jesus doesn't raise back from the dead, it's true. This is an opiate for the masses. What are we doing? But I still, people think I'm crazy. I do believe the whole next part, we're going to talk about that more next week, that the stone rolled away, that Jesus knew this was going to happen all along, and he came back from the dead. Amen? Amen. That's why we're here. Mary went, and he wasn't there. She thought she saw the gardener. Oh, interesting, the gardener, right? The garden, the lilies. The church is considered the lilies. 
and the gardener was there tending to the garden because he was alive. That's what Peter preached. People saw him. It wasn't just some sneaky thing. That's why it's not a legend, right? He lived. He was substantiated. You could ask people who, who, who were eyewitnesses to this account. So when you doubt, oh, and let me tell you, if you want to talk about doubt, let's do it. There are reasons to doubt. It is not foolish in any sense. But when you doubt, come back to this. This. We can debate a bunch of stuff. We can debate how old the earth is. We can debate these miracles. We can debate patriarchy. We can debate all this stuff, right? Yeah, and and we can talk about it. But this right here is the center. Don't get too distracted with the other stuff. Come back to this. Forgiveness. Paradise. Family. Forsaken. Thirst. Finished commitment only matters because of the last word. Resurrection. Amen? This is hope for you in all situations. Oh, Moms and dads and kids, single, divorced, widowed, rich, poor. You're killing it or you're struggling. You're grieving or you're celebrating. You come from a great family or a broken family. You're a rule follower or a rebellious person. Where is your death hosting? The victory is in Christ and his resurrection. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. We carried around these rocks because it rolled away. I balance these rocks right here. Just kidding. It has the power to change you. It changed a denier of Peter to a preacher in the pillar of the church. It changed a doubter, Thomas, into a church planner in India. It changed Saul, who killed Christians, to, to an apostle. Peace is at our core. Hope is defining our future. Grace is our sustenance. Joy is our music and song. Freedom is our status and calling. Our dignity is restored. Our shame is taken away. All things are made new, and that is our inheritance. Amen.